ABF Creative. The following podcast contains emotional and graphic descriptions of death by gun violence and is not intended for children to listen to without parental consent. Police are still investigating a weekend shooting in Duluth that killed a Gwinnett County man. Akeem Turner of Swanee was found dead from apparent gunshot wounds on the stairway of an apartment complex at 4146 Plantation Trace Drive in Duluth at about 9.15 p.m. Saturday. According to a Duluth police report, a witness told police he saw a tall white male get into a vehicle with Turner, then get out and run away. The witness said that another man, a black male, then ran up to the vehicle with a handgun. The witness said he went back inside, at which point he heard three gunshots and called police. The Duluth police said they are still in the early stages of the investigation and had not released any additional details about the shooting or suspect as of Tuesday morning. vivid memory of Akeem is the first time I've met him. He was about one and a half, and most people do not know that he was my brother's son. Um, One of those situations where I ended up raising Akeem and his sister from the time that they were two and three years old. And the first time I met him, I had flown out to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they were living. I hadn't heard from my brother in a minute, so I did a pop-up, and that was the first time I met Akeem, and it was like love at first sight. He was so clinging. He was just looking into my eyes like he had known me forever. And one of my favorite pictures is from that time when I first met him. I think that was back in 1998. He didn't know me from anybody, but he was just so, he just, that love was immediate. It was love at first sight. We called him Kimi. Kimi, Kim the Dream. He always loved football. He always, he was such a, a man's man. <laughs> he loved rough stuff, tackle football from as long as we can remember. He was always into it. We are actually from Los Angeles, and he started playing for a team in Baldwin Hills when he was, I think he was eight years old, and he was so big, they called him Monster, and he was so solid and passionate and talented that people loved watching him play. One of the things that makes me sad when I think about it came because he actually felt like if he couldn't be a football player, he couldn't do anything. He just felt like that was his only dream in life. And like we always tell our kids to make sure to get your education, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, just in case you you never know. But he put all his eggs in that basket. And honestly, he he had attention deficit. So he kind of struggled with learning. And there were times that I would have to pull him off of the team because he was not able to keep up with the practices and the whole everything that went along with the football schedule. 
in high school. So he would come home maybe at 9 o'clock at 9.30, tired after he had already had a full day at school, and be upset with me when I told him, if you're going to do this, you have to come home and make sure you get your homework done. But he would be so tired, and he, he would have an attitude like, I am so sleepy and sore, I got to go to sleep. I'm like, that's not how it works. So the last year, actually, his last year, and you know, he was a junior, I pulled him because his grades meant more to me than football did. So I pulled him from the team and he tried, he was upset with me and he tried to go back his senior year, but the coaches wouldn't let him back in because they kind of thought he was a quitter or he didn't do enough to make sure that he stayed on the team. So they didn't let him back on the team and he definitely was depressed and he changed after that. to me because I raised him and his sister and actually my mom had an aneurysm when about a year and a half after I got Akeem and his sister and so I was basically be take care of all of them because she moved in with me unfortunately for a number of years he didn't see his father again until he was about 19 years old actually so I was the closest person to him I was like a mother to him but he, he did know I was not his mother. He only saw his mother once or twice since I got him when he was three. So I was the only mother figure that he was used to being around. I was surprised actually after he passed when I listened to some of his music. I know he would be in there driving his sister crazy late at night. He would be in there in the room. He had his drum machines and he was, a I guess, a, a, a music producer. He used to make music and he and his friends would he would make the music and he had a couple of friends, one of his cousins, they had like a group and they would sing and rap. And I listened to one of his songs. He let me listen to one or two, maybe just a few months before he passed. And I was very surprised how that it was really good and that he was that creative. I, he would let me hear stuff before here and there. I didn't realize that he was as serious about it as he was until he, until he, until he passed. He has a SoundCloud or something like that. Somebody gave me the link and it was like he had about 30 different songs on there. And I was very impressed and I was kind of sad that I didn't know that he was trying to move in that direction with it. The happiest times for Akeem was sometime around the holidays. He was really a family-oriented guy, even though he tried to be cool. The thing that made him the happiest was when I was in the kitchen cooking big meals for Fourth of July, Christmas, Easter, whatever it is. He would always, no matter what he was doing, he would unplug his game and come down and just sit around in the kitchen and just wait until I finished cooking everything. And for the most part, I would cook a lot of food for just our family of four. Sometimes we would go out or other people would, or just a few people would come over, but by the third or fourth day, we'd have all those leftovers and Akeem, he would eat them by himself. So I know that for sure, me cooking and him just being in that environment of love and around the family during times that I'm cooking a whole big spread, that's one of the things that made him the happiest. He just would just be sitting around, almost ignoring me, but just absorbing all the love. So he would just like to be around me and just be chill and quiet.
Lakeem's personality was definitely known for being stubborn, but fun. All of his friends knew that he was like a wise guy. And at the end of the day, he definitely was, he was a, a comedian. He really loved his friends. When he was younger, he loved to go outside and run around and play. And so whenever I would tell him that he couldn't go outside or play with his friends or have anybody come over, that really affected him. The day leading up to me finding out about the incident with the Akeem, I actually had some things planned that day. I think it was my allergies or I thought it was coming down with a cold or a flu or something. And I, I ended up staying in the bed all day. I saw Akeem a couple of times. I heard him in and out of the house. It was a Saturday night. Akeem and his sister, they come and go. It's early. Neither one of them were home. About three o'clock in the morning, I got a knock on the door and it's just the weirdest thing that I looked outside and saw a car blocking my driveway. And the fact that I went downstairs, looked out the peephole and a man just flashed something. The whole thing was just weird. And I just opened the door, trying to figure out what he wanted. I have no idea why I did that at three o'clock in the morning. And he said, Does Akeem live here? And I said, yes, he does live here. Does he have a green car? I said, yes. We found the car. The door was open. It was like a puzzle, a riddle. And I said, Akeem's car? You found his car where? And he said, there was a shooting. And I, I'm like, did Akeem shoot somebody? In my mind, I was still waiting for him to spit it out. It was, he was pausing. He was just giving me bits and pieces just like that. I just repeated him. There was a shooting and was Akeem involved? He said, yes. He said the door was open. And I'm still waiting. I had to keep pulling more and more out of him. I said, was Akeem hurt in the shooting? He said, yes. I said, was he shot in the shooting? And he said, yes. This is standing at the door. And then he said, can I come in? I let this man in. He came in my house and sat down. He was a strange man. He was not dressed like a police officer or anything. And that's, I still have no idea why I did that that time of night. but. I guess I needed to know where Akeem was. Anyway, he came in and he sat down and he was still coming with these riddles. I had to finally ask him. I said, Akeem was shot. Did he make it? And then he said, no, he didn't. And my mother was right there with me. She had a, a quiet fit. She just got up and I just pulled her back down to sit by me because I needed her to be by me while I finish talking to this man because I really do not believe everything that I hear, especially something like that. I, so I said, how do you know it was a king? I said, how do you know? Was it a king? You're sure? Yes. And he put his head down. And when he said that, I was 95% sure that he may have known what he was talking about, but I wasn't going to believe it until 
I saw a king. And I'm not sure if I asked him any questions after that. So I'm just trying to figure out why King got shot and like what happened. And while he was sitting right there, he told me where it happened at. I ended up calling the King's cousin who had not too long relocated here from California. They're about the same age. And I just called him to find out why King was over there and those, like, who Akeem may know in those apartments. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that Akeem's cousin and his best friend did not know that Akeem had been murdered. I called him to ask him, do you know why Akeem would be over there at those apartments? Who does he know? Who would he be visiting over there? Who who was Akeem with tonight or something like that? And he said, why? He thought something was wrong and because my voice didn't sound like it was anything wrong. I don't know why he, maybe three o'clock in the morning, I don't know. And he said, why? Tell me, he says, he in jail? I said, no, he's not in jail. I said, there's a, a, a officer here. And he said, why? He said, what happened? What happened? And I said, there was a shooting. And so the king was shot. And then his cousin was just like, no, no. He said, where's the king now? I just got quiet. I didn't even think about the fact that I was actually calling him and he finding out that a king was murdered that way. I know that's his best friend and he's always with him. So I was trying to figure out wh- why he would be over there. His, his cousin just broke down. He went crazy on the phone. I had to go. So I put the phone down, hung up the phone and went back downstairs and talked to the officer. And I still didn't cry, but I was definitely in shock. And when he left, my mother was just sitting there staring at us. And I'm about to go to sleep. It's just like, it was, it's just too big. It's like too unreal. It's just too, you cannot, cannot process that. So, and I was sleepy. I'm like, it was three something. They woke me up. So I was, I went upstairs and I was up there for like 15 minutes. And I literally went to sleep. I was able to sleep. My mind did not let any of that in. I was able to sleep. And then... I heard this spamming and banging at my door. It was a king's cousin, his mother, everybody had come over and I was like, I'm sleepy. I mean, that's literally how I felt. I really felt like, what do you want? Do y'all know what time it is? So everybody came in, they were crying and I was just looking like, hmm. My brother and Um, My cousin went to the crime scene. I told them not to go. I told them not to go. I think I didn't want them to come back and tell me anything. I told them where the officer said that this happened at. It's only like 10, 15 minutes from us. Some apartments in in a nice neighborhood. (laughs) And they didn't didn't find out. They drove around there, but when we calculated it, it happened at 9.20. They processed the scene. The officer came and told me what happened six hours later. So by the time they went, there was there was nothing nothing to see. So after they left the next morning, I slept. I had to go pick up my prescription. There were things I was going to do that day anyway. So I went to pick up my prescription. When I came back, there were people there. So here's some news like that. It's, it was too big for my brain to grasp. It was too, it's too much. I don't even know if my brain has wrapped itself around it. I I have accepted it, I know it happened, but it is definitely on autopilot. There is no other way. I have trouble sleeping, period. 
and to find out some news like that, my brain would not, my brain was not able to process it at all. So I called her that morning when I came back from getting my prescription. At first, she didn't want to talk to me about it. She said, this is still an open investigation. And I'm like, what happened? And she knew who I was. And <laughs> and then she just started talking to me. I don't know why she did that or why she tried it. She knew who I was. And of course, I needed some answers. She told me that they were trying to rob him. And for whatever reason, the detective said they thought that Akeem was rich. The worst thing is that one of the boys, the 17-year-old, knew Akeem from playing basketball with him at the LA Fitness around the corner from where it happened. There was one guy who is the mastermind who put this all together. He talked to the 17-year-old and he asked him, do you know anybody with a gun so we could rob Akeem? And he said, yeah, I know somebody. And the person that he knew was a 16-year-old boy. So they set him up to rob him for some weed. He had $20 on him. And the night that it happened, the white boy actually said that he sat in his own car and practiced taking the keys out of his own ignition because that was part of the plan that they were going to do to a king. The, the white guy was going to meet him over there, pretend to buy gummy bears from him, and then take the keys out of his ignition. And then the other guy with the gun was supposed to come around to the side and rob him. So once some of that got in motion, the 22-year-old guy, a 23-year-old mastermind, he was, he was a driver. He drove them over there to the complex. The white guy got in the car and was acting like he was going to buy the gummy bears from a king. And then he took his keys out of the car so he couldn't go anywhere. Um, he did get the keys out of the ignition. A king reached over to stop him. Um, there was some kind of little tussle because a king was trying to get the keys back. And then the white boy ended up running out of the car and Akeem ended up taking off his hoodie. The other guy comes around to the car and says, give me everything you got. And Akeem, unfortunately, was like, you are not about to do this to me. He got out of the car and started trying to defend himself. And then that's when he ended up getting shot. He got shot twice, one time in the femur, and the shot that killed him was actually in his shoulder, but it punctured his lungs, and he ended up with two liters of blood in his lungs, and that's basically how he ended up dying. try to save himself after the guy ran away. Akeem did try to run for help because he was actually right outside of where his friend, his friend lives at and his friend's mother is a nurse. So Akeem was trying to make it to her, but he collapsed and he, um, I'm just happy he didn't suffer long. The guy that was out there, he tried to render aid, but by the time the cops got there, it was, he said it was, he, he was gone. We have definitely not received an apology. You know, we're still waiting on the trial. We got nothing like an apology. Actually, there were a few court hearings. Uh, forget which ones there were, but the white guy, 
his family and friends and he had so much support in that courtroom that we I had a place to sit but some of the people that were there to support us it was standing room only and they actually felt like they were rude and they were nasty because this white boy he he had a he did have a promising career he messed it up but they were so no we no apologies these people were only there for trying to save they were trying to save the white boy and the white boy actually ended up getting he was in jail for about uh, maybe two or three months he went up for bail once and the the, the judge um, granted him a thousand dollar bill I was really mad because he got bail at all I didn't feel like he should get any kind of bond because he they let him so much they gave him a plea deal without talking to me they gave him a plea deal and now they, they took any kind of murder off the table and he is the one that recruited the boy with the gun if he had not recruited that boy with the gun it would this wouldn't have happened but because he spoke up and implicated others he was able to get bond the first time around bond was at half million dollars his mother couldn't make that happen about maybe three months later it was revisited and the judge reduced it to a quarter of a million the mom put her house up and he's running around here right now um, waiting to be sentenced and it's been it's been over a year and a half the other guy he is actually in jail right now the black guy a lot of people feel like that the race card is playing into it and i definitely do not believe that because of the simple fact that the mastermind who put all this together he is black and he is not going to be charged with anything because there is no physical evidence at all they have nothing actually tying him to this case except the white boy's confession so no i really feel like if race was playing any kind of um was any factor that they would try to make sure that they got that black boy on something i know it's not race i know it's not at all Akeem's death has affected my family in so many ways. Of course, we miss him, but life is just different without him. I no longer feel like there is a like a dark cloud following me everywhere, but I still feel like I'm just flat. Like I could dance and have fun or whatever, but it just still seems like everything is just like flat. There are no high notes anymore um, for me. And people get confused because, like, the night that I found out what happened, I was on autopilot. I've been on autopilot since then. The craziest thing is that people see me from the outside looking in, and they have no idea of the things that I'm not able to do anymore. There are certain things I can't even discuss with my friends about things that, uh, that I'm letting slide. I was just thinking the other day that I wish I had some help, like some of my friends, but they think I'm strong. I've seen those those memes that say, check on your strong friend. They think I'm the strongest person in my group, and I'm not. The one thing I want people to remember about Akeem and to know about Akeem is that he was such a lovable guy. Stubborn, but he was very lovable. He was funny, and um, I just really miss his, his bright smile. I get peace knowing that Akeem don't have to deal with this crazy world. 
And to be honest with you, I got peace in forgiving, but I don't hate the boy who shot my my son, the king. I don't hate him. And I was able to sleep better. I actually feel sorry for him. And that's not to say that I don't feel that he needs to pay for what he did and stay in jail until the king comes back. But I don't hate him. I actually started a group called Mothers in Common. And that's where I have met a lot of other mothers of murdered black boys, black sons. And I I really enjoy talking to them because they understand the silence. You know, when you have friends that have not been where you are when it comes to your child being murdered and they invite you somewhere, whether it's six months after it happened, six weeks or six years and you are having a bad day, it's too big. It's too much. I would like to keep Akeem's memory alive by doing something to honor him. I actually have a business in honor of him. It's called Pocket Change. And both my mother and I, we make these glass gems that have little sayings on them. The most popular one is actually him. And we give those to other mothers of murdered children so that you put it in your pocket, you walk around with it, you put it under your pillow, and you just keep it close to your heart. It's like you have him with you everywhere. For some people, these responses can be overpowering. If you feel the need to talk to someone, support is available. You can call the National Distress Helpline at 1-800-985-5990, which is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year.